there. Hello, friends. Hello, friends. Oh, oh Susie. <laughs> I tried to be ridiculous. I'm and contrasting. Susie went in with, like, sexy, sexy voice. <laughs> I just wanted to contrast your energy. Oh, oh. You know what I mean? Like Bring some balance. My yes. Yes. Welcome. Oh, that was beautiful. How was that? That was great. How you doing, Suze? Real good. How are you? Suze, S O O Z. <laughs> now we know. Now we know. That's how we're spelling it. Mm-hmm. 197, this is. Yep. Can you feel it? Mm-hmm. I'm dying to say a rhyme, but I'm not going to. <laughs> All right. Yes, here we are. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Are you I got feeling- a big zit, but oh, you know, nuts. every now and then you get those. You know what? Just throw some bioclarity on it, call it a day. <laughs> right. What else can you do? I know. They happen. Hormones. Ugh. The worst, right? Yeah, it is. The fact that I'm fighting wrinkles and acne simultaneously it's is a cruel just, joke. It's a joke. Yeah. I know. What the heck? We got sold a bill of goods. Because then my mom kept pitching me because I had oily skin. This is like now totally taking a like, left <laughs> turn. I wasn't even going to talk about this. My mom used to say I would complain and complain about my acne when I was little. And, she, and my oily skin, she'd be like, don't worry. You won't have any wrinkles when you're older because your skin's oily. And like really? that keeps your skin moisturized. Is that, and a, that. like an old lies? <laughs> lies. Was she just saying that to be totally. nice? Totally. Dang. Ugh. She didn't. Yeah. Now I'm just a dried out pizza. Oh, Sarah, know, you're a beauty. Just a crinkly old crust. Do not be cruel to my friend Sarah. <laughs> okay, okay. I will fair. not tolerate it. I say that to Lincoln too. When he gets mad at himself, like if he misses oh. something on homework, he'll like hit his head with his hand. You know, like a yeah, like don't yeah. yeah. But it's actually like he's mad at himself. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do not be mean to my friend Lincoln. That's a really, really good um, little like intervention tool. Yeah, because if he's tool. mean to Lincoln, it's the same as if anybody else is. I will yes. not tolerate that. And that's a really good, I mean, they even <laughs> use that in therapy now where they say, okay, we do that. We say, uh, imagine what you'd say to your friend in the same scenario. And right. nobody would ever be mean to a friend in that scenario, but they're yeah. terrible to yourself. Yeah. If you can't talk nice to yourself, come on, come on. You know, whenever I was doing my dissertation research, I had to listen to a lot of sermons and Joel Osteen did this sermon, or maybe it was an interview he gave. Regardless, he was talking about how mean we are to ourselves in our internal monologue Mm -hmm. and how, you know, we would never say to someone, you're stupid. Never. Or you're ugly or you're... Never. Whatever. But we say it to ourselves. All the time. Constantly. It's so weird. It's totally bizarre. And so he's just in- encouraging people to not do that. And in adult children of alcoholics, they call it the critical parent. Oh, yeah. You adopt that voice. Yes. You adopt the voice of a critical parent inside your own head and you can't really turn it off. And yeah, you need to adopt that? a loving parent voice. Right. Yeah. Millennials love loving parents. Do they? Is that like a term that millennials well, you know, use? like the trophy for nothing oh, generation. God. <laughs> My poor future child is going to get no trophies or anything. New York Times like, did a poll. Second is first last. <laughs> you suck. Right. That's true. You do have a little bit And now bit we wonder that. why they talk terrible about themselves. True. <laughs> You're the critical parent already. I am already the critical parent. Um, New York Times did this poll, though, where they wanted to see about naming the next generation. You know how- like, I've seen this. Oh, did you yeah. read it? I mean, I like read little pieces, but tell me, tell me, because now it's like, you know, floating through my brain and I can't put the pieces together of the well, article. you know, certain ones, somebody, there's actually, I think, a scholar who wanted them to use the phrase or the term I generation. Yeah. And then other people were like, why would we name them after a brand because that's an <gasps> apple oh my god you're right kind of gross right? super gross but i mean it, it's symbolic too so it's of like time okay. and represents yeah 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 where we are in history one of the favorites of the new york times uh journalist was delta generation because delta? the 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 way they described it was that delta is a word that represents a time of flux mm-hmm. and a period of like uncertainty i like the name delta it's i know like an actual I thought child that, name like I that's a really cool name thought the same thing the only delta i've ever heard of was delta burke from designing women and i was <sighs> like that is a cool name a delta like little girl she would be badass right i totally agree god i better pop out a girl before this naming happens so i, I can, know I mean, we need to get yeah. on that yeah jesus <laughs> but it was the implication was that it was a 
period of flux of uncertainty, mm. but also of hopefulness and that there was going to be good thing. I was like, wow, I never knew that yeah. about that word. Yeah. Cause I, I always like thought that was, hopefulness, you know, that yeah. we're more than just avocado toast. My God. Right. I did hear on my, one of my favorite shows, wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR, you know, radio news quiz. Uh, they were saying that millennials have reduced the carbon footprint. Like we're seeing a reduction in energy use by 2% nationwide. And they're thanking millennials for this because more people are staying at home. I read that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And they were almost writing it as if it was good news. I love when you read what I've also read so that you, <laughs> well, read, listen to, whatever, so that you could like, you're like my, I uh, can wait. You're, yes, you're like my Google. Like, like, yep. See, it says right here, folks. Susie knows. So it's true. Well, they were, the way that it was posited in the article that I read was that it was great news. Like yeah. this is a good thing about the fact that we're staying home more. But to me, it was like, well, uh-huh. what about social capital? And like, yep. and how about communication between people and community, and community, yep. Yeah. Connection. So there's a price you pay uh-huh. for everyone being reclusive and, you know, hermits. Yeah. Is that we don't have that benefit as much of community. But more binge watching. Oh my God. I love it. Right. It's a real mixed bag. Yeah. So do with that what you wish. Yeah. Well, on that note, you know what I could go for? What? A little sippy sippy of some nice wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, on any note is when I could go back. Yeah, that. pretty much fuels this podcast, doesn't it? <laughs> right. This podcast runs on wine. And specifically, we're running on Bright Cellars Wine, which is a fantastic company where the founders were like, oh, we're super smart and we go to MIT and we love yes. science. How can we best use our gifts? <laughs> I know. I'll make a quiz where people can find out the perfect wine for their taste. And so basically... They did God's work yes. and made this delicious service. So you go online, you take this quiz, and based on the things you like, it will ship wines. And these are tasty, like boutique style wines yes. right to your door. And you can get like mostly whites or mostly reds, whatever kind of mix you want. They even have a thing where you can add on cheese now. <gasps> Stop. I mean, forget- Stop it. <laughs> Why do we ever have to leave the house? <laughs> right. Automate my life with wine and cheese, yes. please. So if you want to give it a try, and we definitely think you should, why wouldn't you? You should go to brightsellers.com slash brain candy because they're offering our listeners a 50% discount on your first box, which is freaking awesome. And there's no risk because if you get a bottle of wine and you're like, "Eh, I don't know, you just contact the wine concierge and they'll help you out and sort it. And the subscription is totally flexible, so you can cancel or change or skip or whatevs. So go to brightsellers.com, and that's sellers like wine seller, not like seller of whatever. So brightsellers.com slash brain candy and get 50% off science based wine match to your taste. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Okay. What do you think about... <laughs> what? I just love it already. <laughs> what do you think about, like, do you remember when David Blaine... The magician? Yeah. Uh-huh. The performance artist slash... Performance artist. I don't even know what he would call himself. Um, did that stunt on Oprah where he held his Yes, breath? I sure do. And then I watched his TED Talk where he talks about how he did that what and does the whole he, thing. What does he say? That it's just a lot of meditation and it almost went bad. It went wrong. Oh my God, don't tell me it was fake. Well, so, <laughs> well yeah, he, it wasn't just meditation. He, before the stunt, breathed pure oxygen. Okay, so he upped his oxygen level in his body. The so it delayed saturation. the moment where your body's like, excuse me, I need oxygen. That is the exact word, too. <laughs> it feels like you're... That's I didn't realize that he didn't admit to. No, I don't think he did. No, he did not. That's really weird. Well, I read this article in the New Yorker and it was talking about people that do this competitively. You know, it's, I think it's actually called the apnea. Come on. Something of apnea association or something. And okay. The article is really interesting because it's exploring 
the elastic limits of the human body. Yes, I love that. Yeah, right? So that's a cool concept and one of the it's most... It's really just in our mind. Like we our, our body can do a lot more than we think we can. Yeah, I mean, the, these guys that compete and what ladies that compete are evidence that you can push that mm-hmm. limit. Um, there is a... a yeah, <laughs> this kind of reminds me... What is that movie, Flatliners? Uh-huh. Remember that movie with like, isn't it Kiefer Sutherland and all those guys? What about it? Where they like are the doctors who put them under, they put themselves under and like they want to see what happens when you, di- they remade it. I didn't see the remake, but basically like what happens when you die and they keep messing, like keep going deeper and deeper and we'll, we'll be gone for longer and longer. And then inevitably somebody dies because it's like too long and you can't bring them back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're really pushing the line yeah. with this stuff. So... For, here's the weird thing. Somebody wanted to do a study. I think this was like back in the day before we had rules about such things. Yeah. And they did their study on ducks and they, I think they tied their windpipe so they could Oh no! <laughs> so they couldn't breathe and they did <sighs> one on, on land, see how long it took before they died. This is awful! <laughs> and then one underwater Here's what's weird. On land, the limit was about seven minutes. Underwater, it was 23 minutes. (gasps) What? So there's this thing that your body does when it's underwater. It's called a diving reflex where it starts limiting resources and it goes into survival. I know. I was going to bring that up. Yep. And so the theory is- I love this feeling too, which is really creepy. Tell them what happened to you. So you did a- you know, a holding your breath thing in a challenge. Yes. Oh my God. All right. I, I'll never forget you when you described it. I'm so disturbed by it. Oh my God. Okay. So we did this challenge. We were at, and I think it also helped that it was cold water because that slowed my body down even more. I could feel it. I could, and I'm very in tune with my body and I'm especially in tune with my body in water. Mm-hmm. And we did this challenge where there was a a chest, like a treasure chest looking thing tied to the bottom, like on a... Where were you? We were in Canada. We were in Vancouver. What show was it? It was the uh, uh, Fresh Meat. Oh, Fresh yeah. Fresh Meat 2. Yeah. Vinny was my partner. He mm-hmm. sucked. <laughs> and so the the whole challenge was this, this chest is attached to about a six foot chain. Yeah. And you were supposed to swim down, pick the chest up... And then basically like switch places, keep switching places with your partner. So the chest never touched the floor and you just had to keep the chest off the ground for as long as you can. And it's supposed to be like each partner relieves the other partner. Well, we jumped in the water and it was so cold. It instantly sends your body into like a panic state of like survival, <gasps> survival. Yeah. Well, he couldn't get in the water. He couldn't put his head under the water. He freaked out and it was too cold for him. So he got out. And so I had to finish the challenge by myself. It was just, I was like, okay, we're going for a solo time. Whoever can hold the chest the longest, the team wins. Flat, uh, spoiler alert, I got the third highest time and I was by myself. That is insane. Yeah. So there you go. So I said, okay, we're just going to have to go into a calm meditative state. I took the chest. I sat on the floor of the, the lake. I put the chest on top of my lap for, to keep my, my body down and to keep me on the bottom and I just closed my eyes and I, oh my God, it's almost like bringing me back just thinking about it. I'm like getting short of breath, just thinking about it. And I just closed my eyes and I tried to calm my body and I tried to feel like the oxygen that was in my lungs was like going to all the places it needed to go. Oh my and there was God. a moment and so I was weird. counting, this was, it, I got a lot, I mean, a decent time. I think it was like a minute and 15 seconds or something, which for cold water is a lot there, you know, there was even like the blah, blah, blah. But there was the moment that, that, that where I could feel my body trying to take on water and trying to like, it was like a, yeah, it's a reflex. And if I was able to, to press my tongue against the roof of my mouth, you can almost stop it from doing this. And it's, and the crazy part is that there is a little bit of something good that gets released, like some, I don't know, it's got to be like endorphins or or dopamine or serotonin or something that gets released because there was a part of me that was like, this is exciting and I kind of like this. 
And then the, I got cut, like the, the stunt guy said, you got to go, like, you have oh to my cut God. me to crash. He was like, he gave me the, like, eh, 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 and he was like, go to the surface because he could, I think he of could course. see my body doing that. Yeah, you're freaking <laughs> shutting yeah. down. Yeah, and he was like, you got to cut this, like, drop the thing, you're not going to win, go swim to the surface. And, you know, I was fine and everything, but it was, I had a serious endorphin, like, a rush after i do not uh like also side up please don't do this in your pool or backyard or anything please don't try this at home but yeah it was that i totally know that that was yeah. a longer story that needed to be no cut. and that these you know the um i think they're called free divers yeah. that go down really deep without mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. tank or anything mm-hmm. so they have to train for that and they have to really extend the time that they have before their body starts doing what you're describing and then also train their body to ignore that reflex push your tongue up against the roof of your mouth (laughs) they didn't mention that trick sarah i think that might be just a special one for you it works though um and they're doing you know eight minutes oh my gosh like six i can't even imagine the world record i think is 11 or so (sighs) and you know without the david blaine old oxygen trickery but i do think these sort of um competitions are funny because they have all these rules you know like you can't do the oxygen thing whatever and then when they come up when they're doing the competition within 15 seconds of coming out of the water they have to say i'm okay or they get that doesn't (gasps) count wow because that means that they're not okay right so and what do you get the bends like if you i wonder if that still works if you like oxygen when there's like when you're scuba diving and you go down too deep and you don't regulate and you go up too fast and then well so a- in these competitions they're just in a pool so it's not oh, okay. it's like not that super deep, but, yeah. but um a lot of them can cut off that reflex so well that they'll just go unconscious underwater so that's why they had to have the i'm okay rule oh my god <laughs> they'll just be they're like yeah. oh yeah i'm dying because you Bye. just fight that <laughs> fight that whatever urge that is you're like okay i'll just uh yeah but they say that that thing about the duck and why being in water changed it is the same reason why when you're really upset if you splash cold water on your face that it calms you down oh my god yes good tip yes so that's i'm telling you everybody should just be in water more often it's very calm very there's something very meditative about that yeah it's soothing to the soul especially to a mermaid like you yeah i also have larger lung capacity than most people oh really yeah me and my brother luke like 20% larger. No way. Yeah. Well, no wonder you can do all that crap. Right. Because you just have bigger lungs. And a bigger mouth and a bigger brain. Yep. I don't know about the bigger brain, but definitely <laughs> a bigger mouth. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, well, since you are so healthy, one thing that I know you'll love is saving money on your life insurance. This is so genius. I love this. I love it too. And basically... If you're a healthy person and use like one of those fitness apps, you know, they have a bunch of them you can put on your phone, um, then you can use the data and the science that you get from those apps to be used to give you a discount on life insurance, which is genius. Yes. And as Sarah always points out, it's the same as like whenever you get good driving discounts. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the same thing, but with life insurance. Yeah. So... Um, it's a company called Health IQ, and if you go to their website and go to healthiq.com slash brain candy, you can put your info in and get a free quote and find out if you're eligible, and then you can save up to 33% on your life insurance. And they just track you via those trackers that you're already using, like Fitbits and all those steppers and all yeah. that kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Cause, or if you're in a bike club or if you're in any kind of like a marathon group or whatever, they can yes. include all that info and uh, save you money. So go to healthiq.com slash brain candy and get the scoop on that. Or if you call them, you can use brain candy as the code to get that free quote. Speaking of fitness apps, I read an article on Vox that says that there's a fitness app out there called Strat- Strava, S-T-R-A-V-A. That is kind of like a Fitbit, and it's a lot of people who do marathons and work out a lot, you know, run because it creates this like game where you're working against, like you're you're doing fitness stuff against other people who are kind of like turn I've it into heard a game. Of things like that. Well, what it's done 
is it revealed a whole bunch of military secrets and what? all these bases that were n- unknown before. Why are you saying that? Because all of the soldiers and people who are wearing these are not realizing that they're... Okay, so there's like a heat map that they do, this like global heat map that this app does. And this global heat map and the people who have been participating or have this app and using their Fitbits or whatever to be a part of this app and this fitness tracker have been releasing data, like inadvertently divulged locations of secret military bases all over the world. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I'll I'll add this in the newsletter, but it says, as it turns out, when you put enough soldiers in one place and they exercise at the same (laughs) time and location every day, their collective composite heat map can reveal things over the time that no one was expecting. And you can look in on Google Maps and people are like, okay, this is a real thing. And it's like letting everybody know where all these, uh, all these formerly hidden military bases were. That is insane. I know. Talk about like unintended consequences that, you know, are they and just the, like going to not let these guys wear the well, track? They, the, 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 somebody's getting in big trouble because <laughs> they're able to, Somebody. they're able to trace who the users are Uh-oh. too. So, but I mean, are they breaking a rule or is this an accident though? I mean, I'm pretty sure there's somewhere in the rules, like don't use any data tracking apps mm. and maybe they just didn't realize that they thought it was like a, you know, one of the like a fit like a fitbit like yeah. oh i want to see how far i've ran and you could see like all the circles around where those <laughs> oh hidden military God. bases are yeah it's really and even in areas where google has it blacked out you can see all of the military base and like google has it all it's like blacked out on google maps but on this map it shows up as a heat pattern oh dang uh-huh isn't that crazy yeah that so, really is. Yep, it's like unintended consequences of social of social apps and things like that. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, mostly they're good though. Most of yeah. us aren't. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 But situation. for most of it's really good. It also had really cool ones on. Uh, you know, it has like the whole heat patterns for, um, like big races, and they even do like maps of cities, and it shows where people go and how fast people go in certain areas, and they have it for the the. What is that big Iron Man in Hawaii and has the whole and like it's really cool to see on a heat map like yeah. that goes by how fast people are going like where the, where the speedy places are it's cool data to look at but also can uh, give away your secret military base right yeah well good to know good to know keep that in mind if yeah. you're in the military there you go um what is your position on essential oils. <laughs> Oh, I have mixed feelings about it. Okay. Essential oils are not the cure-all. I thought you were going to say are not essential. (laughs) Are not (laughs) also not essential. But I do know that there are a lot of benefits of certain smells of things. And our olfactory senses are the sense that's most linked to memory. Yeah. So Ain't that the truth? Everybody can uh tell you like the cologne their boyfriend wore in the seventh grade. Right? I still can't smell cool water. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) No way. Right? Oh my god, I love it though. Yeah, I gotta be honest. And then my best friend always wore Come Angel, on. and Angel. I was like, it What's always reminds. One? It was like a drugstore one that she always shout out to Ashley. She always wore it, and every time I smell it, I'm like, oh, Ashley. <laughs> she was like the first friend who wore perfume. Yeah, and so like it was like third grade or fourth grade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it'll always remind me of her. Yeah, um, but so I understand that there are a lot of. Um, I know benefits like that, but I, I, I don't think it can, I'm, I'm like a little bit iffy <laughs> Sarah, on the ones. you're cute because you don't want anyone to get offended, right? Well, okay. Because there's truth to it, but it's not the exact truth that they're selling. Who's they? Like essential oil people. I don't know. Companies. <laughs> whoever's pe- essential oil peddlers. So it's like, okay. So there's, I saw that there, there's one company who was like, this will help calm your baby. These smells will calm your baby and, or like get rid of, I don't know, like anxiety or whatever in the baby. And just like lavender, eucalyptus, all like the normal stuff. Yeah. And what I think is that children are often very in tune to the, um, not what I think. I know children are very in tune to the energy that the mother is giving off. So if you have a anxious mother, you will have an anxious child who's Mm -hmm. more anxious and, if you're able to calm and soothe the mother through whatever means necessary, and if the mother through 
what, just thinking it works or having a memory of relaxation attached to lavender and eucalyptus and all that, and the mother's energy and stress level is brought down, then the babies will in turn be brought down as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it happens, but it's, I don't think it's a direct correlation. You know, like, and I don't think, unless it's studied, and you can show me a peer-reviewed study on strict essential oils calming children, you know, but I'm open, what if? Studies, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. I, there was an article in The New Yorker about um, the movement because it's really yeah. becoming quite popular. And there are two main companies that are, you know, like rival companies yeah, yeah. that sell most of the essential oils. It, man, what's really interesting because, so let's say 20 years ago, somebody that was into homeopathic or essential oil remedies mm-hmm. looked like a hippie, yes. dippy, like, uh, you know, what would you, what's that, um, <laughs> Woodstock, oh, oh, like yeah, the yeah, people yeah. at Woodstock, you I was know like, what I mean? Patchouli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that type, yeah. you know, granola, whatever. Yeah. And then the this first company started to market their product and they decided they wanted to like rebrand. Mm-hmm. And boy, did it work. Yeah. Because now the people that are really into essential oils, at least anecdotally and according to this um, article, but I mean, just looking at my Facebook feed, mm-hmm. are a lot of upper middle class white moms, moms. Yeah. Um, who swear by the, the things, that, the way that they work. And, um, that it's fascinating to me culturally for that reason, and the way that we can market products to appeal to certain people for different reasons at different moments in time. And then also it was talking about how, so Sarah and I have mothers who are extreme opposites politically. My mom is on the Trump train. Uh Sarah's mom is the hippy dippy, like psychic whatever. But in a certain way, they're very similar. It's yes. almost like if you go to the extreme of either end, you go come back around and they meet yes. back it's like at the circle. Yeah. Yes. It's like a circle. So and that was so mind blowing when you told me that. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Cause they're both like distrustful of certain institutions, yep. but they, blah, blah, blah. So they're, they have similar personalities, even though like my mom thinks psychics are the devil, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. My mom thinks organized religion is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But so this is similar because you'll have someone like Gwyneth Paltrow, who is a wealthy, liberal, uh-huh. uh, white, suburban mother who promotes the value of essential oil. But then you'll have, I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Jones, but he's um, oh, on oh, InfoWars. Yes, I am. And he is a believer in them job. too. Because he's very distrustful of the government and of like organized medicine, uh, you know, yeah, medicine yeah. and all of that. Yeah, Big he really pharma. is the, the pillar of health to be looking at and modeling our, our lives after. But those two examples demonstrate the spectrum yes. and the ways that you can appeal to both sides and the ways that our moms are the yes, representative totally. of that. And then it was talking also about how these essential oil oils are very popular in um, Utah and Utah has the most direct sales companies and and users in the whole country. Do they also have the most stay-at-home moms? Well, they certainly have a lot because Mormons have a very traditional view of family. So this is a way for Mormon women to make Mm -hmm. money. And they, Mormons have a history of being very uh, distrusting of the government because of the ways that they've been, um, limited Mm -hmm. by like their religion has been limited. Um, and so it's so weird because you just think it's this little thing, lavender, whatever different scent it is. And then there are so many religious, cultural, class, um, education components that have emerged surrounding it. It's totally like, you know how I get. Yeah. It's really interesting to see who the, it's almost like the people in the middle of the road are like. No, I mean, I take it or leave it, but it is like the far extremes on yeah both ends. That- some people I've even heard in our Brain Candy Crush group, you know, some of the people have said they love yeah these. They have necklaces that you can put whatever scent in and smell it when you're stressed yeah. or whatever, and love it. Yeah. And I say good for them, and that's all. Good. Those yeah. things are all wonderful. My problem where I run into an issue is when 
those bloggers and the people online are saying that it has cure it anything that is a cure anything that's a fix-all anything where you should be there was somebody there's some woman who just in australia who just got fined almost like four hundred thousand dollars because she said that she had like incurable cancer mm. and went all organic and homeopathic and gluten-free or whatever and did all these essential oils and it cured her turns out she never had cancer so they came and they were like, uh, can't do that. Here's a big old fatty fine. They're like, good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. <laughs> Don't have cancer, but you have a big old bill. So, <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah, I was just reading that at t- this morning, actually, on, uh, on you know, people who are getting in trouble for making these, like, snake oil claims that are kind of like these, blo- especially these bloggers. Like, I mean, Goop tried to sell everybody on that stupid vagina egg Uh-oh. that was like... A jade egg? You don't need to put a jade egg in your vagina. What is it? Oh, the Come stone. On. No, I yes. did see that. The stone. And I blocked the gynecologists it everywhere are like, uh, please don't do that. And you can definitely get a yeast infection. And it was like $80. Yes, it was yeah. like a bajillion dollars. And then she wants to sell for like a bag of rocks. I'm like, you're fine. You don't need a bag of rocks. Get a therapist. Everything Uh-oh. will be okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> you started out so measured and being like, you know what? I but now you're like, you don't need a bag of rocks. I also say that I hear that, that there are times where smells are really, like if you're sick for morning sickness for pregnant women, like the smell of lemon and yeah, cinnamon. Ginger. Or yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Those are really, really helpful. Or um, I used to go on... Um, I used to fly American Airlines a lot whenever we would go to another country with my family or with my husband or everything. For some reason, it was always American Airlines. And they had a muffin. This sounds so crazy. But there was a breakfast muffin that they would make on American Airlines that would instantly make me throw up. The smell of this breakfast muffin would make me vomit. Like, it's... I can, like, almost taste it right now, except I never tasted it. Just the smell was so bad to me. And so when I would go on planes, my mom or I don't know where I would put a little bit of, um, like mint yeah. essential oil it right can on the top of my lip yeah. and then no, pro- no more problems. That's really cool. And now I would be like, I cannot travel without this because what if they serve that blueberry goddamn muffin? That's so bizarre though. It was very specific and it's like. <laughs> Wonder what ingredient was. There's something in there I, and it's, it's artificial. Like it's a fake blueberry smell that. Just yeah. made me instantly sick. Yeah. So. I do put lavender in the tub. As you know, oh, I have the whole bath that. thing. I yes. do. I love that. And I don't care if it's placebo or not. And tea tree oil, I swear by. I, me too. I use that all the time. Tea tree oil is amazing. And tea yeah. tree oil is good for so But you're much. just saying it doesn't cure cancer. It doesn't cure cancer. Okay. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Do you think, yeah. and by the way, we have a guest today. Oh, it's very fun. I'll tell you later. Okay. Last thing before I tell you about her. Um, would you guess that like movies affect behavior? I'll Absol- just make it broad. Absolutely. And I wonder if you read the same article that Probably. I did. Does Fast it have to do with furious? the car? Yes! yes. Oh my God. How they give out more speeding tickets when Fast and the Furious comes out? <laughs> I should have known that that'd be the New York Times article you read. <laughs> my god but it was interesting right it's fascinating and it makes total sense because when i watched the movie center stage also on an airplane i you know the ballet one oh my god it's so good if you haven't seen it you have to see it so it new no it's old it's probably 15 years old now oh, okay. but i was on a flight when i saw it and i went to the bathroom locked the door and did ballet moves in the bathroom shut because i was like oh my god i have to dance like a ballerina right now let it me, absolutely affected my Here's behavior. what I want to know. Since it's rare that we've read the same thing. Yeah. What were your takeaways? I'll see if they were the same as mine. 
Like just off the top of your head, I well, know. Well, I just heard this story. I oh. didn't read the actual article. I heard them talking. Who's ta- telling you this? I love to watch the show, listen to the radio show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And they were talking about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And they said that, um, you know, they, of course, make jokes about it. So I only heard it in the context of, like, uh, Okay, well, you know. that's, okay. Yeah. So the article really isn't funny, but um, it is interesting that they did show that there was a cor- correlation between when these movies came out and the speed at which people were driving, mm. especially within proximity to the theaters. Oh. So closer to theaters. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then like extreme speeding went up double. Wow. So that's greater than 40 miles over the speed <gasps> limit. Oh my God. That's way too fast. And furious. Way too furious. <laughs> too fast, too furious. And so... That's going to be their next movie. Way too fast, way too furious. Pop the brakes. That's what the next one should be. Stop. <laughs> Safety Stop. first. <laughs> Suze, yes. was, did they also take into account gender? No. Uh, no, definitely not in this article. Because I think that these are males. <laughs> they... <laughs> I would agree, but it didn't, yeah. it didn't specify. But to speak to that, it was bringing up other examples besides oh, yeah. that movie. So, besides Center Stage, what else you got? <laughs> the um, Netflix series 13 Reasons Why. Oh, we talked about this in school. Right. Absolutely. So we saw people an increase looking in up, suicide. Yeah. Well, at least curious about it. Yeah. Looking up yeah. Curious. Uh, suicide. So, well, and in the teenage population, what do we call them? Trigger warning. Um, teenage populations, their suicide has a contagious effect yeah yeah yeah. copycat thing yes with with but only in a teenage population it also happened in stanford a lot there were a a, like a significant number what are you holding back about just because i I don't know it's uncomfortable to talk about (laughs) the amount of people who killed themselves you know not really a, a hot topic on a hilarious podcast like ours all right all right fair enough but the article reminded me of our friend Jane McGonigal, who wrote yes. Super Better. Yes. She talks a lot about gaming and mm-hmm. obviously that question about does gaming uh-huh. have a correlation between any kind of violent behavior. And and you, there's a real problem with causation because maybe violent people are more inclined to play yes, Call of Duty. Play vi- violent video games. Yeah, right. or whatever. So you, it's hard to say. But there was um, an incident recently where... What's that thing? There's a name for it where you're playing one of these games and you can hear the other people Mm -hmm. around the world Mm -hmm. playing with you and you can talk talk to them like on your headset. But then like if you get in a fight with one of them, they'll send um, the FBI or whatever to your house. What? And report you as being a murderer or whatever. But there's a name for it that I'm what? upset that I don't remember where it's like a prank, but it's the, the most terrible prank. So this happened and the, um, who are those special force guys that are like, not the FBI, but like, not just the police. Oh, uh, um, SWAT team. Yes. Yes. Swatting. Swatting. That's what it's called. Oh, yes. I came up with Thank that. you. Didn't even have to Google it, people. <laughs> Woo. Good day. They call it Swatting. Oh my and god, that's so fucked up, and also a huge waste of resources. Because to mobilize to mobilize a SWAT team is not easy. So they sent this 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 happened, oh, and the SWAT team went to this guy's house, but they went to the wrong house. No, killed the guy. <gasps> Shut the fuck up. That is sorry, Linda. Oh my god. Oh killed my god. The, this guy wasn't even playing. Oh my god. Call of Duty. Oh my god. Oh my god. It Talk was just about a, a terrible death suit. Yeah. Because the guy that they were Dude, fighting with gave the him the wrong thing, address. I, that's the last thing I thought you were going to say. I'm sorry. That is so fucked up. It is. But so oh, then shit. Jane McGonigal said, you know, I don't usually like to talk about, I usually prefer to talk about the good things about gaming. I saw that post. But she said, sometimes you have to oh my ask questions about who, whether the game is contributing to that mentality. It is. Or... If the people that are inclined to that mentality just like the game, we don't know. I think there's also a numbing effect that happens that when you start playing those games, I mean, Landon, I got Landon Call of Duty for his birthday. Yeah. And now I can't have Call of Duty like on in the house because the sound of incessant gunfire in my house puts me on edge 
in a way that I've never experienced before. It mm -hmm. makes me feel unsafe in my own home and like, like it raises my cortisol levels and I can feel it. And there's no, oh, it's so awful. I'm like, you have to turn that down or play yeah. it on mute because <laughs> you like created your own problem. I did. At, well, now it's like, we don't even play that. We just play Crash Bandicoot. There's no Crash there. Bandicoot. Oh my gosh. Just like a silly little, like it's like Mario or oh, okay. like say it like, um, Sonic Genesis. the Hedgehog. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. for, you know, it's way yeah. cuter and nicer and it's like puzzly and there are no guns. Just I think Jane collect. would approve of She that. would totally approve. All right. Well, oh anyway, that so. That so crazy, Suze. Yeah, I'm sorry I let you down. No, that. you, I mean, but, but it's, it's interesting just, to it's talk so about. It's so fascinating. I think it really needs to be talked about because I think also when we have children, it we don't realize, you know, I think a lot of parents are probably like, yeah, sure, go see Fast and the Furious, not knowing, you know, what kind of effects just seeing a movie can have and then you think well what 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 kind of behaviors do i want my child to emulate what kind of you know and and i don't i wouldn't i don't want that yeah as peg would say be careful little eyes what you see yes it really is i mean it's kind of basic and it to oh yeah yeah but our guest today yeah is a gal named dr jen mann who is an mft and she is on the show Couples Therapy with yes, Dr. Jen yes, yes. on VH1 and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. And I was intrigued by her because we talk so much on the show about reality TV and like aftercare. And that seemed like such a weird combination because it's therapy, but it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. And like, how does she balance that and still maintain professionalism and be entertaining and whatever. So I just yeah. wanted to like explore that. This is so exciting. Weirdness. But yeah, she was lovely and I, I hope I asked the right questions, but you know, every reality show is different mm -hmm. and some showrunners have a commitment to mm -hmm. authenticity while others don't. Some have a commitment to taking care of the cast while others don't. So mm -hmm. I don't want to paint with a broad stroke, but you know, in our experiences, it hasn't always been the top priority to take care right. of the cast. Yeah. yeah, so I was curious about that. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So let us have a round of applause for <laughs> Dr. Jen Mann. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you. I have tons of questions for you. Hope you can handle it. I think I can. Pressure's on. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. You're always like dealing with the hot seat. We're nothing compared to your day job. <laughs> so here's what I guess I wanted to start at the beginning. What made you decide to get into this field in the first place? What was appealing to you about therapy and psychology? Um, well, what made me get into therapy or what made me get into therapy on TV? <laughs> therapy. Um, therapy, you know, I was a journalism major and, uh, I was covering a story for my school paper about a person, a student at my college who had raped four women, uh, acquaintance raped. And I became obsessed with the story. I interviewed four of the women. Two of them said that I could use the interviews for, the school paper for wow. any other stories that I wrote. And um, two of them said that they wanted to remain anonymous and not share the story publicly, but it helped them to talk to me. And it also kind of helped fill in the gaps of the other two women and kind of how everything happened. And what happened was that um, the school was not forthcoming about the information to other people on campus. And he was going to be he had gone to prison and was going to be getting out, would have access to campus. And oh I God. became obsessed with the story. And I felt like I had to do something. And I started doing all of this research. 
about uh, rape on college campuses and how poorly they're typically handled and about rape in general and what a huge issue it is Mm -hmm. and was. And at the time, Ms. Magazine had released a study about rape on college campuses that was groundbreaking. And I felt like I had to do something. And as I started to write the story, also people came forward out of the woodworks. I had Hmm. teachers, I had employers, other students who came forward telling me about their experiences. And I have a real activism background. And so I felt like I had to do something. I felt like I couldn't just stand by and not do anything. Talk about being ahead of your time. Thank you. You know, I figured that I would either become an attorney or a therapist. And um, I did a semester in LA. I was going to school on the East Coast. And I volunteered for what was then called the Los Angeles Commission on Assaults Against Women as a rape and domestic violence counselor. Uh, They're now called Peace Over Violence. And I started doing the training. It was 60 hours of super intensive training about basic counseling skills, about trauma, about rape, domestic violence, the cycle of violence, stalkers, you know, all kinds of stuff that had to do with violence, predominantly against women, but other people as well. And um, as soon as I started doing it, I felt like I had found my calling and I felt like I need to do this. Like this is this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I applied to grad school and um, and became a therapist. Oh my gosh. That is such a great story because so many people, you know, have those moments in their life where they're inspired by something but they don't know how to they can use their talents. But it sounds like you really found your niche. I really did. And, you know, I'm very grateful to this day for those women that they were willing to trust me with their stories and willing to talk to me and um, because it, it allowed, it's allowed me to help so many people and it has been life-changing for me. It's a real gift to be able to gain people's trust. Did you always know that you had a way that made people feel comfortable in that way? I don't think I really thought about it at the time, you know, because when you have that experience, you kind of don't know any different. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I grew up in a home that was very, very non-judgmental. I have parents who um, just always were very accepting and like I could say like, oh, I murdered someone. They'd be like, well, we understand. You probably it. had a good reason. <laughs> like, let's talk about it. So I, I like, the, you know, believe me, my family had its own kind of chaos and trauma, but that just wasn't it. Wow. And so I think that that was a gift my parents gave me that has allowed me to provide that for people when they talk to me, because I really, I don't judge. I've, I've heard it all. I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time. I've been doing it in private practice on the radio, on television. Like there, uh, there's nothing I haven't heard. I can only imagine. Tell me. Oh yeah. What, we all, anybody that's been to a therapist knows what it's like to be in that <coughs> position. What is it like to be on your side of the so-called couch and to day in and day out have to absorb and hear what people have to say that's often very disturbing? You know, because I started out working for the Los Angeles Commission on Assaults Against Women as a rape and domestic violence counselor, I started with such intense crisis work mm. that it kind of, it's kind of like um, athletes go to Olympic training camp in Colorado Springs and it's super high altitude and <laughs> it's such high altitude. It makes you have to increase your endurance. You have to be able to be stronger and better and handle anything. And I think in a certain way, my experience working for the rape and domestic violence hotline really prepared me. You know, I, hmm. I did a four hour shift every week. I also did accompaniments to hospitals and police stations when uh, women had been raped and needed a counselor to go through the process with them. So it started out so intense that I think that's helped me a lot. My kind of tolerance for intensity is is very high. Um, And I just, I love what I do. 
that I get to help people. Like sometimes I'm doing what I do and I can't believe I get paid for this. Like (laughs) how amazing is that? That I get to help people and be part of their lives in such a significant way is really cool. That is really cool. And then like everything's going awesome and you're killing it. And then you're like, I'm going to do this other crazy thing and go on TV. Tell me about that transition. What happened for me was um, I was very outspoken in um, one of my classes at graduate school when I was getting my master's, uh, the eating, my eating disorder class. And I talked a lot. I was, I was already recovered or in recovery, as some people say, and was just super outspoken. And the teacher was going on the Channel 2 Action News with Dr. Winnie King to talk about eating disorders. And she approached me and another student and said, you guys are both recovered. You have a lot to say. You have read all the books. Like, would you be willing to come on and talk about your experiences and also talk about it clinically? And I said, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. I was (laughs) up for it. And I had this experience where all of a sudden I was sitting there going, instead of helping one person in my office, I could potentially help millions of people. Oh, and understand, this is a long time ago. Like, there was no Dr. Phil. There was no, like, yeah. there, just, there weren't other experts doing this. But it really clicked for me, and I felt like I need to find a way to do this. And I started to go on various different shows as an expert talking about mostly eating disorders, which is what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on. And I also have an app called No More Diets that's based on the philosophy that helped me recover and get well. And so I went on I and I had all these experiences. And one day I get a call from none other than Harvey Levin. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know him from TMZ. And Harvey called me up and said, I'm doing a pilot for USA Networks. And uh, I've seen you all over the place. We have already hired uh, a man and a woman and we're looking for a younger face. And I was quite young at the time. And so I said, sure, sounds great. And so I went in and I did this audition and it was really fun. And we got to counsel these people who were having issues together as a team. And afterwards, I got a call back. I went back and Harvey Levin pulled me aside. I'll never forget in this room. And he said, this is office. And he said, I have to tell you, regardless of what happens with this pilot, you have to do this. You are incredibly talented and you need to do this. And you need to get representation, get an agent, get a manager. I was like, there are agents for people like me? He was like, yeah, and you need one. I was like, okay. So, um, so I, you know, I did some research and I got a manager who represented me and, um, and you know, it's been an amazing experience because I really am very fortunate that I've gotten to do real therapy. I've gotten to, um, do two things that I love, which is educating people about mental health issues and how to help themselves and how to make their lives better and doing actual therapy on TV in a real authentic way. That really excites me because that's what I want for all my listeners too, is like whatever their gifts are, if they can use them for their job, how awesome is that? And it sounds like you're doing that. So cool. Yeah, it really is. Over the course of your career, have you noticed more, the stigma of mental health issues changing or is it the same? I think it's changed a lot. I think there's still a long way to go. I think it's helped a lot. You know, one of the things that I do think has helped, you know, couples therapy with Dr. Jen on VH1, um, having celebrities on the show doing therapy has made a lot of people open to therapy. Hmm. (laughs) And I think in particular a lot of people who wouldn't do therapy, you know, season one DMX on my show is not a guy who you would associate with therapy. And he had an amazing experience to this day. When I talked to him, he says it was one of the greatest things that he's ever done that doing the show with me, doing therapy with me, gave him back his relationship with his mom. You know, he's now in touch with his dad and that never would have happened if he hadn't done the work with me. And, you know, it's, um, it's really cool to get to expose people 
to therapy that wouldn't otherwise do it and then have people when the show airs who reach out and say, wow, I think actually I'm going to try therapy or like, oh, I, you know, I thought that therapy was like some buttoned up doctor who's (laughs) like on some high horse judging me, but like, you seem like therapy is kind of cool. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And I recommend that everybody have one year of weekly therapy. Whether you've had trauma in your background or not, if you have, I recommend more. But it's really important to do the work on yourself in order to gain the insight, to have new tools, to have someone who is neutral hold up the mirror and say, like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. You know, and I practice what I preach. I'm in therapy myself. Like, I've had decades of therapy, and I hope to continue to be growing my whole life. I had never thought about the fact that the people that you're working with on couples therapy would maybe not be seeing a therapist otherwise. And so, I mean, that's so obvious now that you say it, but I hadn't thought about it. And I'm wondering when you're working with them, does it change your method or is it the same regardless? My method always, I mean, I accommodate where people are, regardless of who they are, where they came from, what their history is. And I'm very eclectic in my approach. So it's not like I say, oh, I'll use cognitive behavioral therapy for this person, but I'll (laughs) use psychodynamic for that. I really use a combination of different therapies based on what the need is of the client. That makes sense. So it's more or less the same, but you like can adjust based on their needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you notice, go ahead, sorry. You know, one of the things that has been really amazing for me with couples therapy with Dr. Jen and family therapy with Dr. Jen is that my executive producer and creator, Damian Sullivan, is amazing. And he has a real respect for the therapeutic process. And he, when I first auditioned for the show, said, I will never interrupt you. I respect the therapy too much. I will never create something fake for the show. I want to see what really happens when people get great therapy. And he has always been true to his word. And that's allowed me to really dig deep with a lot of people. Yeah. And it wouldn't always be like that on reality TV. So that's really commendable. A hundred percent. Do you notice with people that tend to go on shows, as you, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, my co-host and I both have reality TV background, and we kind of mm-hmm. talk about the types of people that tend to participate in these shows are maybe sure. a little bit out of the average range. Do you notice that when you're working with them, or is it just that all people have the same problems in the end? Look, I think that in order to want to be on TV and in order to be successful on TV or to be a successful entertainer, you have to have a charisma, a desire to be in the spotlight, a um, some need for attention. You're probably pretty intense. Otherwise, the producers aren't going to pick you. And, you know, look, I'm on reality TV too. So, like, you know, I look at my own stuff as well. But I think that, you know, at the core, everyone's problems are the same. You know, it's, it's not about, you know, granted, the celebrities on my shows have certain issues that other people may not have in terms of the paparazzi or the fame, but their relationship issues are the same, their mm-hmm. conflicts are the same, their family issues are the same, their self-esteem issues are the same. It isn't any different. I notice when you're interacting with them on the show, you have a very... Um, you know, like you'll drop the F-bomb if you need to, or you'll just say it like it mm-hmm. is. Will you do that in real life, or is that more of like dealing with no, them? No, that's who I am. Oh. <laughs> that's who I am in the therapy room in Beverly Hills in my private practice and who I am in my personal <laughs> life. And kind of like I was saying, you know, one of the things that was really magnificent for me with the show is it really allowed me to be who I am mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh, no, you can't say this word. Like, you know, I will go on talk shows, on network talk shows and do therapy, and I'm I'm myself, but I'm a little bit of a cleaner version of myself. <laughs> you know, there are certain words you just don't say on network television, but my producers really let me be 100% myself, and that's who I am. You know, I, I grew up in a music business family, and, you know, that's the way we've talked in my house, so... Um, 
that's what's familiar to me. Well, and that I'm sure it adds to that relationship with your patients because they know you're not being phony baloney. You're just being yourself. Totally. <laughs> Do you feel like over your time, see, because now you're on TV, so you're famous. And mm-hmm. has it changed your perception of fame or the spotlight or celebrity in general? You know, I grew up in a music business family, so I had pretty big name celebrities coming in and out of the house I grew up in. So, you know, it's it didn't change my perspective because I kind of grew up You're used to it. inside that world, understanding the inner workings of creative people and, and what that experience is like. Hmm. Maybe see this is why you're the perfect person for the job. So where do you I kinda see, am. Right. You really are. You fit the suit, man. So where do you see yourself moving forward? How do you want to carry on? Because you have you wear so many hats. Like you mentioned you have the mm-hmm. app and you write books and you deal with um parenting and kids and you do so many things. What do you want in the end? Do you have like a master plan? Um, look, I would like to continue writing books. I would like to do both reality TV and talk show kind of formats. Um, I also love doing radio call-in advice. It's really fun and exciting to me. Um, I have a jewelry line. I have a, a T-shirt line. I love creative things yeah. and, and things that are positive, both the jewelry line, um, which is through Elisa Michelle. It's a, a partnership I did with them. It's, it's all positive statements on jewelry you know mm. like our one of our most popular necklaces it says fuck perfect <laughs> and you know we have like bracelets with you know embrace change and it's just all very positive and a lot of them have sentimental meaning to me and and I always link to the website so people can see kind of the story behind it and what inspired me and the same thing with the t-shirts you know it's shirts it's, it's my company's called retail therapy make a difference <laughs> Love that. and you know, take responsibility. So it's it's a lot of, um, to me, things that allow me to make a difference in people's lives and be creative is what really, like, stokes my fire. Yeah. Whenever you are done with a season of one of your shows, because then the people move on, is there a particular mm-hmm. protocol for whether people can continue care or do you direct them into a different system? How does that work? You know, it it varies depending on the need. We've had seasons where we've had people where we have, uh, they really needed care and we got them care right away. And there were times where we had to um, suggest, you know, inpatient stuff, outpatient stuff, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So really it varies tremendously. You know, what I always tell everyone who's on my show is, once I'm your therapist, I'm forever your therapist. Aww. I will never go out to dinner with you. I will never go <laughs> hang out with you. I will never do any of those social things with you because I can't, I need to have that boundary. And that, but what you know is that if the shit hits the fan, you can always call me. I and love people that. have, you know, and, and at the reunion show that I hosted for VH1, um, you know, Nick, Richie, uh, and Shane Lamas talked about when, I don't know if you heard, but you know, about, I think it was about two, three years ago now, um, Shane had a medical issue and collapsed and was, she was pregnant at the time and she was rushed to the hospital and lost the baby and lost a lot of blood and it was quite serious. And Nick called me. And I was there for him and for her. And, you know, unfortunately, she lost the baby. And I was there to talk to about, you know, how to tell her and about making some very difficult decisions that parents have to make after losing a child. And he knows, you know, everyone knows who's been on my show that I will always be there for them, that that is, um, that's my role. I think that is so awesome. We talk a lot on here about how we wish there was a little bit more in terms of aftercare for people that have done shows because it can be quite, yeah. it can be another trauma in a way. I agree completely. <laughs> that is so cool. It, it's that you it's do that. very, very intense. Yeah. And, it, you know, everyone gets something out of it. As you said, people enjoy attention and you can make money, et cetera. But there's also a side that's like, whoa, what did I just do? A hundred percent. 
Um, last question that we ask everybody is, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? <laughs> I keep a box of sweatshirts in case I get cold, my daughters get cold, or Eric gets cold. That's so great. I keep a box of um, my books and my merch yes. in case yes. I am at a show and a producer's like, oh, you know what? I need a copy of your book. Um, I keep an empty container for gasoline should I run out of gas uh, because I'm always in such a rush <laughs> that you never know. I haven't, I haven't had that happen in a really long time. But, but it's there if you need me. it. Yeah, it is there if I need it. Um, and I keep, I have two blankets that if, like, my daughters and I are go by a park and we're like, oh, you know what, we want to sit down and have hang out, I have two blankets. Yeah. Oh, those are good. That you're, yeah. I like, you have, like, a mom trunk. It's yeah, like totally really sweet and truck. lovely. <laughs> yeah, but if you had asked me that question before my daughter's, the answer would have been very different. <laughs> See? And, and it was a convertible, and it was really cute. And yeah, but now it's a little more of a mommy. Car. Yeah, you're confirming our theory. I like that. Um, yeah. Okay, where can people find you on social? People can find me at Dr. Jen Mann, D-R-J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. So two N's on Jen, two N's on Mann on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. See, you got it covered. And you're... I got it covered. I'm sure they'll come up with some new one that I'll have to learn. <laughs> right. They always do. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful that you came on because you're right up our alley and we just think you're delightful. So I really thank appreciate you. it. And uh, you're off the hook. So thank you so much. Okay. My pleasure. Let me know when, when you uh, post it and I will make sure to promote. It's a deal. Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate you it. You got it. Have a good okay, one. Okay. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.